This is a mediocre show with no particular niche, baby. It's always about hanging out. Maybe we'll laugh at some stuff, maybe we'll learn something new, but it's always about hanging out, me and you. Welcome to That Thing with James. I'm your host, James, and this is a podcast about (gasps) nothing in particular. I rarely, if ever, uh, plan out what I'm going to discuss during any given episode, and today's episode is no different, but I've got a bit of a general idea of what I'm going to be talking about. I'm going to be talking about pirates, like yar, shiver me timbers, matey, kind of pirates. Why? Because they're cool and they've been on my mind lately. They're often on my mind, actually. But first, as always, let's do some quick business before we get into it. Uh, if you would like to help support this show and get access to uh, the the bonus episodes, I always release a bonus episode on the same day I release a new free episode of this here podcast. You can access those by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash that thing with James. Not only will you get a uh, bonus episodes, but you'll also get some bonus behind-the-scenes content of my ongoing, little-known comedy web series entitled Minor Tensions by Dick Whistler. I've been putting, you know, behind-the-scenes stuff on the Patreon as well, and uh, there are different um, uh, donor tiers that offer different perks. So once again, if you would like bonus content and the peace of mind that comes uh, from helping uh, support an independent creator, an independent artiste, you can do so by supporting the show at patreon.com slash that thing with James. Once again, that's patreon.com slash that thing with James. Um, I need to clean my glasses real quick. They are so dirty. Just a second. I can't see anything. It's just dust. Oh, that's better. And I promise we'll get on to today's topic after just a little bit more information. Um, you can find me on TikTok. I upload the uh, the, the web series on, on my account there, at TTWJ Productions. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram. My handle on those two is at James J. Asher. I have a subreddit. Please provide me with shit posts on there. You're welcome to come post uh, at r slash that thing with James. And if you would like to contact me, perhaps for some work, paying work, that would be great. Or uh, if you have a topic you'd love for me to discuss or questions you'd like me to answer on the show, email me at my show email, that thing with James at gmail.com. All of that information is written in the episode's description, so you don't have to rewind and try to parse out what I just rambled through. Now, on to today's topic. I have recently started watching an anime series called One Piece. Yes, you may or may not have heard of it. Um, if you are at all familiar with anime, then you most definitely probably have heard of One Piece. I don't know if you've seen it, uh, but yeah, I started watching it maybe a week and a half ago. Well, at the time of this recording. I'm recording this on the last day of April, April 30th, Sunday, 
2023 at 11.16 p.m. This episode will come out the following Friday. So by the time this episode comes out, it will have been about maybe two, two and a half weeks of me watching One Piece. And I love it. I love it. I'm hooked. I keep watching it. And there's so much to watch. So it's great. It's easy to consume. It's fun. I I really didn't expect I, that I would enjoy the show as much as I am. I thought it was just going to be like, uh, just another, you know, shonen type anime. Like, I, I've tried to get into, like, Naruto. I don't really give a shit. Um, you know, I, I never really got into Naruto. Never really cared too much about Inuyasha. I grew up watching Dragon Ball Z. I loved DBZ. Um, I grew up watching Pokemon. Uh, when it first came out in the U.S., I was obsessed with it. Uh, I might even cry if I missed an episode because it was the only thing that brought me joy at such a young age. Um, but I am, unlike with like Naruto, really, really enjoying One Piece. It's so good. I love the fashion. There's a lot of like, well, of course, there's like pirate type garb, but it's so weird. Like it really get. there's a lot of characters like for guys, they're really in, um, there's a lot of 60s influence in the uh, wardrobe so far in One Piece. Uh, if it's not like some pirate or other like bizarre type of thing, it's a lot of 60s. If it's a guy, they're dressed in mod fashion, such as... Uh, Shit, I can't even remember all the characters' names, but it's the guy who's the cook. He wears the suit. He has the blonde hair, and he's always smoking a cigarette. Uh, he's a he's a ladies' man, and he's the character I most identify with. <laughs> he dresses like mod style, and there are other um, masculine characters who dress like mods, 60s mods. And then for the feminine characters, there are quite a few who dress in uh, go-go style, which would have been around the same time as like mods. If you, you've, you're probably familiar, and if you're having trouble conjuring uh, what mod and go-go fashion looks like in your mind's eye, just go back and watch Austin Powers. Like, go watch the the very first Austin Powers movie, and it's just dripping with mod and go-go style, and some psychedelic, like some kind of hippie style, but uh, because it's English, um, it's mostly mod and go-go, because that's where uh, those two fashion trends were really big in the 60s. Um, they, I'm sure they existed here in the U.S., but not on the same scale that they existed in the U.K. in the 1960s. Speaking of, I just remembered, uh, when I was in London, I got to go to uh, some, like, 60s psychedelic cafe that had, like, actual uh, artifacts from the 1960s. In this one place... Shit, it might have been located in the same building that Jimi Hendrix was living in when he died. Um, 
but it had one of Jimmy's guitars, I think. It might have had one of his guitars, but I know for a fact, because I've got a picture of it somewhere, a rug that Jimi Hendrix himself made. The dude made a rug, and they have that rug hanging like up in a frame in this cafe. Who knows if this cafe uh, still exists? I, I was there when I was 15 years old, so shit, that would have been 20 years ago. Hold on a second. I was 15 20 years ago. Let me uh, have a drink of water and think about that real quick. But when it comes to, all right, we're going back to the fashion stuff. When it comes to, say, like hippie or go-go or mod type fashion, it, it did become uh, sort of a, uh, you know, a couture statement. Is that how you say the word? Couture? Like hot couture? Uh, it became a statement um, as so as always happens with counterculture movements, they get absorbed by the mainstream because they grow. But when it comes to counterculture and new you know vanguard fashion, uh, these usually are born from communities from people who may be marginalized uh, communities and individuals or just, you know, fringe, which uh, similar, but I, I do feel there there's a bit of a distinction here between like, you know, fringe and marginalized because you can be someone who could be part of, uh, you know, core traditional culture just that maybe you have a, uh, a philosophy and a taste and a flair for things that are outside of the usual box, so to speak. So maybe you're not marginalized like, uh, you know, an indigenous person or a brown person or someone from, you know, the Southern Hemisphere. Um, you know, you could be a, a, a middle-class white guy college educated, but you're not really into the, you know, mainstream shit. So that would be more fringe than necessarily marginalized, I think. Regardless, uh, these communities and individuals tend to coalesce and uh, individuals come together to create a community where fringe and marginalized people accept one another in a in a society, uh, to speak in terms of um, uh, not not Cosmo Kramer, fuck George Costanza, in a society uh, when people have trouble fitting in, in a society uh, they may come together and create their own community, their own culture of fringe people, their own fringe culture, and this is nothing new. It's always been like this, even back in the pirate days. As, as a matter of fact, that's kind of what pirates were made out of. Were, yeah, there's thieves and stuff like that, but, you know, thievery comes from... Uh, how, do, how am I going to put this? How am I, hold on, hold on. What am I trying to say? Uh... Crime is not inherent. Where, what am I trying to say here? Okay, so 
say you've got someone, an immigrant in an immigrant community who, okay, here we go, here we go. Uh, gangs, gangs of New York, all right? Um, gangs are, well, except for police gangs, uh, usually when you think of like classic, like Italian gangs, Irish gangs, Spanish gangs, so on and so forth, these were made of communities uh, that were marginalized by America, by lawmakers, and by uh, the, you know, the fascist pigs, I mean, the police. Um, and it, it was difficult for these marginalized communities to be able to do pretty much anything, to exist, to feed themselves, to find housing, because there was prejudice against them, you know? Yes, once upon a time, the pasty Irish people were viewed uh, by Americans and as by the English as not white, as dirty, yucky, uh, lesser than people, right? And it was very difficult for them to survive when they're being persecuted. Uh, black Americans, hello? Um, and so these people come together to create a community. And sometimes in these marginalized communities, they might have to resort to, uh, you know, protecting themselves, you know, say, you know, Italian gangs back in the day or something. It might have been viewed as like violent. Don't get too close because they're rapists and robbers and muggers. Uh, no, no, not, not really. That was just propaganda put out, you know, that the man put out against people who were already having a hard time uh, trying to fucking survive in the U.S., um, and so at a certain point, you know, if there are people committing hate crimes, you know, just like wacko, you know, white supremacists who are coming in and fucking your shit up all the time, maybe you as a marginalized community will uh, take it upon yourselves to protect yourselves because the police, the uh, supposed the purported, the alleged keepers of peace will not help you, if anything, may actually actively try to hurt you. So you as a marginalized community must take it upon yourself to protect yourself and to feed yourself. And if you do not have the money or the means to get the money in order to buy things to feed yourself, or even if you do somehow get the money to feed yourself, yet everywhere you go refuses to sell to you, once again, hello, black Americans, Native Americans, so many fucking people in America, uh, even still to this day. Um... Do you just go hungry and starve to death? Or do you say, fuck it, fuck it, fuck it, fuck it. You've been fucking with me and my people forever. Uh, and I've tried to be nice. I've tried to play by your rules. And we're starving. And we're not gonna, we're not gonna suffer. We're not gonna go down like that. So fuck you. 
I'm going to steal some bread, you know? That happens. And that is what happened with pirates. You know, these are, you know, fringe or marginalized people who came together, you know, escaped slaves and so on and so forth. When the seas and countries were ruled over by monarchs and aristocrats and oligarchs and merchants and everybody, for the people who had been marginalized and pushed out and persecuted by the various societies, um, they didn't want to live on their knees and starve to death while being beaten and called horrible things. They instead said, fuck it. We're going to live our lives and we're going to make our own rules. And I'm going to talk about those rules because I think it's really fucking cool. So, uh, in case you didn't know, pirates, there are different, uh, I think they call them articles of agreement or pirate law or pirate codes, different, uh, you know, bands or fleets of pirates may come up with their, well, own sort of constitution, their own rules of conduct, because it's a lot easier to exist and get along when you've got a few parameters set just to make sure everyone's on the same page, just to make sure everything is copacetic. So I'm going to read to you uh, some of the different pirate law things. And there are a few different ones. And uh, the best place I have found in, in my, my brief research that I did, because I first heard about these uh, articles of agreement um, two years ago, actually, two and a half years ago. And it, I loved it. It blew my mind. And I'm surprised I haven't talked about it on here before. So we're going to get into it today. I'm going to refer to the Wikipedia page because, well, they've got those articles um, gathered together in a nice, neat single location for me to read to you. So let me pull those up and take a drink of water and we'll get right back to it. And I think I need to use the restroom real quick too. Bathroom break. Oh, that was refreshing. Okay, so uh, we're, uh, we're now going to read some of these uh, rules, pirate laws, that different bands had, okay? And uh, there were some different ones, but there are not many that, there were, there were many that existed at the, you know, the, the great age, the golden age of piracy. However, um, not a lot of those, uh, you know, papers survived because as this article says, part of the reason that few pirate articles have survived is that pirates on the verge of capture or surrender often burned their articles or threw them overboard to prevent the papers being used against them at trial. Makes sense. So let's jump in here and read some of these. Hopefully uh, you're ready to hear about uh, how the pirates 
got along. We're going to start with the articles of Bartholomew Roberts. Uh, His articles were similar, but not identical to those of his former captain, Howell Davis. In turn, Roberts' articles influenced those of pirates such as Thomas Antis and Anstis, Thomas Anstis, who served under him and later went their own way. Let's get into it. Number one, every man has a vote in the affairs of the moment, has equal title to the fresh provisions or strong liquors at any time seized, and may use them at pleasure unless a scarcity, not an uncommon thing among them, makes it necessary uh, for the good of all to vote uh, a retrenchment. I'm not sure what a retrenchment is, but that itself, pretty fucking novel, especially compared to, well, military ships, naval naval outfits. Uh, you know, this is democracy at work right here. Uh, you know, get, get, uh, get, what's his name? Get Richard Wolf on the phone. Because I've got some news for him. Democracy at work? The pirates put it to work. Uh, Okay, number two. Every man can be called fairly in turn by list on board of prizes because over and above their proper share, they were on these occasions allowed a shift of clothes. But if they defrauded the company to the value of a dollar in plate, jewels, or money, Marooning was their punishment. If the robbery was only betwixt one another, they contented themselves with slitting the ears and nose of him that was guilty and set him on shore, not in an uninhabitable place, but somewhere where he was sure to encounter hardships. So, basically, uh, people get a fair share of, you know, whatever you steal. So everyone gets a fair share. Everyone gets an equal vote. Everyone gets a fair share of food and clothing. You may get some bonuses depending on uh, how involved you were in, uh, you know, a raid of another ship or something like that. Um, But if you try to, you know, pocket more than your share, or if you steal from one of your mates, uh, you're going to get punished. (laughs) You may get your nose or ear cut off and you may get stranded and we're not going to, we're not going to put you somewhere. You're for sure going to die. We're going to make sure you can survive, but you're going to have a rough time and you're most likely not going to be allowed back on the ship. Number three, no person to game at cards or dice for money. So basically, no gambling. You can play games, but no gambling. Why would that be? Because people get fucking heated. Not not too long ago, here in Tulsa, where I live, a man went to, to prison because he shot like one or two of his family members with a gun, with a bullet, shot them. Over, the, over a game of Monopoly. And frankly, that's something I very much can relate to because every time I play Monopoly, I tell myself, it's going to be different this time. It's just a game. I'm just going to have fun. And inevitably, I get genuinely pissed off. 
genuinely pissed off. Like, few things piss me off in life in general as assuredly as Monopoly does, which, cool history of Monopoly. Uh, The woman who invented the original game before Mattel or Hasbro or whoever bought the game, um, it was an anti-capitalist game made by an anti-capitalist woman. Uh, It was to illustrate how fucked up and unfair and completely inherently dysfunctional capitalism is. Uh, Of of course, a capitalist entity bought it and uh, created a thing to glorify capitalism. Uh, But yeah, no gambling on the ship just because it will cause problems, even if you don't intend it to, no matter what you tell yourself, inevitably, it's going to cause fucking problems, and we don't want those. So you can play dice, you can play cards, but you cannot gamble. You cannot gamble. Not while on the ship, at least. All right? Number four. The lights and candles are to be put out at 8 o'clock at night. If any of the crew after that hour still remain inclined for drinking, they were to do it on the open deck. So a couple things I can think of here. Um, It's not a hard curfew. You don't have to go to sleep, but when it's lights out, it's lights out. And one reason I could think is, uh, well, it makes you harder to find at night. If you're uh, a party uh, 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 of people who are being hunted, you don't want to make it easier for bounty hunters to find you. So put the lights out once the sun goes down. All right. Number five. Uh, to keep their piece, pistols, and cutlass clean and fit for service. Uh, that was pretty clear right there. If we're going to be fighting, make sure you're able to fight. Keep your shit together. Keep it fresh. Uh, number six, no boy or woman to be allowed amongst them. If any man were to be found seducing any of the latter sex and carried her to sea disguised, he was to suffer death so that when any fell into their hands as it chanced on the onslow, they put a sentinel immediately over her to prevent ill consequences from so dangerous an instrument of division and quarrel. But then here lies the roguery. They contended who shall be sentinel, which happens generally to be the greatest bullies, who, to secure the lady's virtue, will let none lie with her but himself. Okay, so basically, if you're going to be buggering any little boys or women, uh, <laughs> do it off. Do it on shore. Don't, don't bring that shit onto the deck. Similar to gambling. It's just going to cause problems, okay? Number seven. Uh, to desert the ship or their quarters in battle was punished with death or marooning. All right. So if you, if you bitch out and uh, leave a brother hanging, you may hang. Number eight. No striking one another on board. 
but every man's quarrel to be ended on shore at sword and pistol. The quartermaster of the ship, when the parties will not come to any reconciliation, accompanies them on shore with what assistance he thinks proper and turns the disputant back to back at so many paces distance at the word of command they turn and fire immediately or else a the piece is knocked out of their hands. If both miss, they come to their cutlasses, and then he is declared the victor who draws the first blood. So it's a duel, not necessarily to the death, but if you're going to settle it, do it off the fucking ship. It's too close of quarters, too much collateral damage. Just wait till we're on land, wait till we're aground the next time, and then you can settle your dispute like proper gentlemen. Okay, number nine, no man to talk of breaking up their way of living till each had shared one thousandth pounds. If in order to this, any man should lose a limb or become a cripple in their service, he was to have $800 out of the public stock and for lesser hurts proportionately. So that, that's a pretty dense one right there. And that comes down to economics. Uh, I, I do believe there was a, a clear, uh, in general, from what I've read before over the past couple of years, there was sort of a general rule of how um, wealth ratio should be managed um, so that no captain is making so much disproportionately more than any of the standard, you know, base crew members. Because what happens if the wealth disparity becomes massive? Well, I'll tell you. Just take a look around the world right now. Number 10. The captain and quartermaster to receive two shares of a prize, the master boatswain and gunner, one share and a half, and the other officers, one and a quarter. Okay, so basically, uh, if you get if you get a dollar, the captain gets two dollars. All right, um, master boatswain and the gunner. So it seems like uh, whoever is a top officer or whoever has a very um, necessary job on the ship, like a boatswain, someone who, I think a boatswain is someone who has to care for the ship. Uh, yeah, they get some money. And then number, I love this one, number 11. The musicians to have rest on the Sabbath day, but the other six days and nights, none without special favor. So basically, we got to have a band. We've got a band on the ship. Uh, we all need entertainment. And uh, so we've, we've got musicians here. But you got to give them a break. You can't have them playing all the time. Uh, so any musicians who may or may not be listening to or watching this podcast, I'm, I'm sure you can relate. I wish I could find the article I saw two years ago because it really went into more depth about how the vote 
was parsed out on a pirate ship. Let me see real quick if I can find it. Just a second. Okay, here we go. And I'm going to end this episode with this part, but uh, this is from historynewsnetwork.org, written by uh, article written by Rachel Rolnick, entitled Five Ways Pirate Ships Functioned as a True Democracy. So let's read these, and then we'll end this episode. And I'm going to get more about my love for pirates in the bonus episode. So once again, if if you want access to the bonus episodes, bonus content, and the peace of mind ooh, you get from supporting an independent artiste and creator, uh, consider becoming a patron today at patreon.com slash that thing with James. Link is written in the episode description. So, uh, number one, uh, the democracy on pirate ships. The pirates created an order that allowed them to vote for their captains, okay? The first rule of one particular pirate code reads, Every man has a vote in affairs of the moment, securing at the start a man's right to participate in the selection of the captain and other officials. With this right in place, each crew elected a captain who was granted total power only during times of distress. The crew, rather than the captain, maintained the authority to determine where the voyage was headed and whether to attack a particular ship or village. Number two, the crew retained the right to depose their leader if they so choose. The pirate council, the term used to refer to the members of the pirate crew, was responsible for removing officers from their positions and then choosing new candidates to fill those positions. Pirate crews had the option of deposing any captain they deemed to be abusive or of exceptionally poor judgment. As one Dutch governor pointed out, quote, every man has as much a say as the captain, unquote. A merchant captain, in utter disbelief of the system, testified, quote, There is so little government and subordination among pirates that they are, on occasion, all captains, all leaders, unquote. That is fucking cool, and pirates are awesome. Number three, there was a system of checks and balances. A significant check on the captain's power was the quartermaster, who served as a sort of prime minister or chief of staff to the captain. The quartermaster was also democratically elected and held a variety of powers. He was the chief executive trusted with the job of distributing loot and also served as the primary executor of punishment. He was an intermediary between the pirate crew and the captain. One captain explained, quote, the captain can undertake nothing which the quartermaster does not approve. He speaks for and looks after the interest of the crew, unquote. The quartermaster can be likened to a judge as well, as he played a vital role in uh, arbitrating, easy for me to say, arbitrating disputes among crew members. The establishment of this position reflected a desire to narrow the gap between captain and crew, as well as to check the power of the captain. The council had the authority to make all decisions that had the greatest effect on the welfare of the ship, including electing officers. The council served as a legislative body and also often doubled as a court. Number four, 
they had a healthcare system. A common aspect of pirate codes was injury compensation. Each pirate code made provisions for certain injuries and their monetary worth. For example, the loss of a right arm was worth 600 pieces of eight, while a left arm was worth 500 pieces of eight. The funds for these types of compensations were taken from the common pool of money, which remained as a portion of the booty captured on their expeditions. Number five, booty, and this is the last one, booty was distributed fairly according to skill and duty. Pirate codes often describe methods of payment and distribution of wealth at great length. These rules were necessary to establish a specific economic order and equality which remained in place even among a band of thieves. Most pirate codes explicitly regulated a distribution of plunder. Booty was divided according to skill and duty. The duty for the booty. <laughs> the captain and the quartermaster received between one and a half and two shares, and all the other positions of name received one and a quarter share each. Regular crew members received one share. This system was radical for its time, having created a payment system that decentralized wealth. It was precisely antithetical to the elaborate pay rank structures common among all other maritime ventures. Pirate historian Marcus Redeker suggests that this might have been, quote, one of the most egalitarian plans for the disposition of resources to be found anywhere at the early 18th century, unquote. Long before the American or French revolutions, Pirates were living, more or less, according to the principles of freedom, liberty, and equality. Pirates, in effect, were pioneers in democracy. They developed a system of checks and balances, created a representative legislative body which certain reserved, uh, with certain reserved powers and provided a common system of health care. Perhaps more importantly, though, the pirate codes were revolutionary in their method of taking power away from any one man and placing it in the hands of the majority. That's it for this episode. I'll catch you next time. Bye!